Grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have to admit, I always liked theology. Yeah, as a, as a, even as a, a boy, I enjoyed theology. Even in college, I liked theology. But once I got in seminary, that was when I fell in love with theology. There was just something about it. And I know exactly what it was. It was the idea that you could approach something and that, that all those things that you thought you knew, all those things that you had built up in your mind, and you just absolutely knew you were right, and then all of a sudden, it's like it could get flipped on its head. It's one of the reasons I, to this day, still love reading Luther. Luther just approaches things in, in just a slight different way. And, and admittedly, sometimes he's wrong. I'll, I'll say it not very often, but there are times when he's wrong and times when he's right. But even having somebody just approach it in that slightly different way, it can make you reflect on things. It can make you think differently about things. It can make you begin to approach things and say, wow, am I really right? Or maybe am I wrong? Do I really not know what's going on? And as you approach those texts in such a different way, you can come away with such a different understanding. It, it's kind of like what they've, what, an old expression that I've heard said before. The Bible is the easiest book to understand. A small child can understand the main premise, the main ideas. The Bible is the most advanced book in the world. All the greatest scholars could spend lifetimes studying it and researching it and just barely scratch the surface. And I think that's a true statement. I really do. How about you? Have you ever studied scripture and found yourself looking at something in a completely different way? Have you ever been reading through the Bible and found words that Jesus said to strike you? Maybe even change the way you, you think. Maybe even change the way you live. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you were reading through the Beatitudes and it finally occurred to you that sin isn't just what we do, but in fact our very thoughts, what's in our very minds and hearts, is sin as well. Or maybe it's some other thing that you have, some other habit that you've formed over the years that you've always told yourself, it's really not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. But the more you study God's word, the more it begins to sink in. That maybe that habit that we've just been pushing to the side is a big deal. Maybe we should do something and deal with it. Maybe it has nothing to do with sin. It's just a story that you've heard a million times, or so you thought, and then all of a sudden, some verse in Holy Scripture causes you to look at it differently, to approach it differently, to see it differently. And all of a sudden, you find yourself looking at things from a different perspective, from a different view. All throughout Lent, we've been doing our, a sermon series called Witnesses to Christ. And, and every Wednesday, we've had a different person lined up. And we've talked about their witness. we talked about what they experienced and some of the things that they saw as Jesus has made his way to the cross. And even though today's not a Wednesday service, it is Palm Sunday, the very beginning and entrance into Holy Week. And so we have a witness today. But it's not just one witness it's, in fact, a group of witnesses. We have the disciples, the ones that were with Christ pretty much from the start, that he called early on, that followed with Jesus, that were with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, 
that slept in the same area as Jesus. They were sitting at his feet learning from him. But if there's one thing that we can truly say about the disciples, as we scour through the gospel, as we look at, at all the various points of the gospel where they interacted with Jesus, we would have to say a key word would be misunderstanding. All too often, Jesus says a parable, and it's not just the people that Jesus is talking the parable to, it's the disciples. They see and witness a miracle, and they don't quite get it. Jesus tells them that he is heading to Jerusalem to die, and they don't, they don't understand. They don't get it. They misunderstand. Now, don't get me wrong. The disciples aren't the only ones. In fact, as we look even at, at, at the Gospel of John, even in the first few chapters, we see at the wedding of Cana, the master of the feast doesn't quite know who gave him the wine, why he, why he has the wine, and where they got it from. We have Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, doesn't understand what it means to be born again or to be born from above. We have the woman at the well who doesn't understand what Jesus says when, when he says that he will give to her the living water and she will never thirst again. Yes, there's a lot of people that simply do not understand Jesus. But if we were looking for an example, a true great example of mass misunderstanding, we would look no further than our text today. John 12, the triumphal entry of Jesus, Palm Sunday text, where the people gathered by the side of the road as Jesus marched in on a donkey, as they waved palm branches and they screamed at the top of their lung, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save me. Save me now. That's what it translates to. You see, this was a march. The kind of march that somebody would do when they were victorious, when they were coming home from victory, in a, in a good steed, if you will, they would march into town. And Pontius Pilate, the head of the, the Roman faction in this area, of all of Judea and Jerusalem, he knew what this meant. Not Jesus, per se, but he knew what an entry meant, and he knew what a parade meant. Which is why every now and again, he would actually have the military go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Just to reinforce that the person who was in charge was Rome. You see, because that's how Rome did something. And we've talked about Rome quite a bit over the last several weeks with Pontius Pilate and so on and so forth. But this is what Rome did. They made sure everybody knew who was in charge, who had power. That they knew that if they crossed Rome, there would be consequences. And on the, on the one hand, we might say that they were just doing that to be mean. But on the other hand, there's a very true reality that Rome did this with a purpose. They did this to establish peace. You know what you have when nobody wants to rebel anymore? When nobody wants to dare break the laws anymore? Lest they face consequences from a, from a military power? Or a government, you have a sense of peace. You know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. You know where you can go and can't go. You have an understanding. That's why this time period is called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome ruled with an iron fist, but they gave a sense of peace. 
But right now, as Jesus marches in, as people scream at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, God save us. They're not necessarily looking for peace. What they want is they want Rome out of there. They want this pagan to not be in charge of their holy city anymore. And so they see Christ, the Messiah. And remember, this is how kings are done in ancient Israel. They are anointed. And so Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And they see him march into Jerusalem and they scream, save us. Save us from Rome. Save us from these pagans. Save us from these ones that are clamming down with an iron fist. Save us. And Christ certainly does go in to give peace. He does. Not the peace that they're looking for, though. Not the peace that they're expecting. Not even really the peace that they are, are claiming up and down that they want. Christ goes to Jerusalem to give a different type of peace, a different kind of peace, the kind of peace that Rome cannot give, the kind of peace that no government, no military, no, no military or governing action could ever possibly give, nothing outside of God himself. Christ goes into Jerusalem, not to rule with an iron fist, but to suffer and to die. And he goes there to suffer and die so that we may be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. That is to say, as we read through Holy Scripture, as we ponder God's Holy Word, and as we realize over and over again just how sinful we truly are, that while we should fear death and damnation, while we should fear that our perfect and holy God could at any moment smite us and send us to hell? We don't. We don't fear that. We don't fear that because we have been reconciled. We don't fear that because through Christ Jesus our sins have been forgiven. That through the very blood of the Lamb our sins have been washed away. And we have been redeemed. It's the kind of peace that no governing body could ever give us. It's the kind of peace that no beautiful words or really anything else could possibly give to us other than Christ Jesus himself, the very Son of God. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, please stand as we now continue by confirming.